Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. I don't even know which COVID this is anymore. I just said it. The 28th on the 28th. 28th time we've had a COVID echo bullet point. Correct. 29th COVID echo we've had. So today was really great because we had Lieutenant Governor. No, I think the best part about today before we even go there is the fact that we pulled this all together in like 24 hours. Yeah, we were having some difficulties with some logistics and uh, finally... Uh, we went we, big, man. We got a lot of help from uh, Joe Helley uh, from Centricare. And the Schick. And the Schick to uh, reach out to the governor's office to connect us with Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. Yeah. And she was fabulous. She was a great speaker. I mean, you yes. obviously hear her on TV all the time, but it was super cool that she's like at her like Home. kitchen table with her husband cooking a chicken salad in the background. And it was chicken salad. That's no lie. Right. But yeah. So, so yeah, she he came even on. waved at us. Yeah. He, yeah. It was, that was special. Um, <laughs> so. She started out by talking a little bit about uh, her personal story, and as many of you may remember, her brother uh, unfortunately succumbed to uh, COVID in March, mm -hmm. and uh, it was quite a family tragedy, pretty obviously, and so this is very personal to her. I think it's just been, yeah, I mean, personal, like funerals. She said they haven't even had some type of memorial for her brother yet, but obviously it's impacted everybody, funerals, weddings, grad parties, graduations. Um, you know, the isolation and just effect on people and how it can just even, I, I liked when she said that you, you know, should be watching TV or even Netflix and then have like this weird, you know, visceral reaction when she sees people like hug or touch or shake hands or be too close together on a TV show because it's just the fear of COVID, even though that was taped forever ago. Yeah. So in the Minnesota way, she basically felt that uh, this is really what we do as Minnesotans taking care of each other. And she wanted to make sure that people understood that masking, in her opinion, is not a political issue. And I think we would both agree with that. It should not be political. It's about science. It's about science. It's about spreading COVID. It's about saving lives and flattening the curve. Correct. So, so anyway, you know, she then, of course, um, brought up the whole... Well, the first thing was this, the executive order, the 2081 is the actual executive order that, that came into effect um, recently from the governor's office where, you know, the mask mandate, um, and we'll get into some of the more intricacies of that when we get to Dr. Morris, but she said the executive order already has increased mask wearing by 25% above where just the recommendation was. Yeah. It's always confusing to me how people can ignore the science and there's still uh, people, my wife was actually in a store and people just walk by without their masks and they will not even consider wearing one. Right. And I, I, you know, she did actually both showed a several of her collection of masks and, you know, different causes that they're even using and the different types and, and just, but you know, one thing she did point out is the ones with the vents on them are just not really that great. Um, but a lot of different variations and just kind of trying to have fun with it. But that even with the executive order, yes, there are citations that can be given out. But really to know that the state of Minnesota is not wanting to penalize fines, give citations for all these things. They're really just wanting people to wear masks. 
You know, I can remember watching something in China where they had a lady out and she was supposed to be quarantining and wearing, and she was supposed to be out wearing a mask. And so they put her in her apartment and welded her door shut. And that was actually on the news. I was like, seriously, they, they welded her door shut so that she would quarantine. Uh, we don't see that here, thank goodness. But Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's no significant. I mean, so, you know, and, and we're going to get to this later on, too, is this whole, you know, we have these rights, which we do. We have a lot of rights as Americans, and of course, but she, as, as she mentioned, is it's inherently Minnesotan to take care of one another. And it's, you know, you're wearing the mask not for yourself, but you're wearing it for your grandma. You're wearing it. You're wearing it to not spread it to your neighbor and their kids or the hospice person down the street. And um, they are uncomfortable. We're not used to wearing them. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in yeah. a little bit. But so a question was asked is how long is this mandate going to last? I and asked that question. You did. And I just loved that she said, well, it's up to the Minnesotans. <laughs> we gave her the opportunity to uh, throw it out there when this whole thing was going to be over as Mike Osterholm, you know, he didn't want to really take a guess it'd be over when it's over right so and dr robin patel had said ask mike yeah and mike said ask someone else and so we asked lieutenant governor yeah she didn't know either she said it was up to us yeah she said it's up to what people do so so yeah if we all wear our masks maybe we can end it faster we have some pediatrician id people on next week we'll ask them when it's over we will we'll just keep asking until somebody says something Maybe one of these weeks we need to have like a fortune teller. You know, it's kind of like that book, Are You My Mother? We just keep asking people the same question. Sooner or later, somebody's going to have an answer. There's an updated version of that book I read to my daughter last night, actually. But anyway, we did ask her as well about what's the hardest decision and the hardest thing they're doing right now in the governor's office. Now the mask mandate has obviously come out. Hardest thing is obviously schools. Um, We'll get to that in hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But um, Well, Thursday it comes out. Governor has an announcement Thursday. Yes, out of the governor's office. But a lot of that I saw in the news tonight was going to be just like who's making the decision. You know, in the news they talked about, if you look at Minneapolis school district, 34% of teachers are afraid to go back. And it was pretty evenly split. Like they mentioned last week is a third of families want to go back full time. A third of people are don't want to. Osseo school district is actually developing their own online school and and so I think the governor's thing on Thursday, just based on what the news was saying, is going to come out more or less who should decide as if it's the districts, if it should be like by areas of the state, by the whole state. Um, so yeah, Thursday, big day. Big day. Sorry, I watched the news tonight. I had time. All right. Well, so we'll uh, we will see how this goes. Just keep your eyes peeled because she is in an infomercial. With their daughter coming up. Very cool. Yeah, and they're going to be doing something on masking. I'm assuming they're going to be wearing masks and showing how important it is. But, you know, we did talk about this with her, too, with having a seven-year-old, is that it is hard to get used to wearing a mask all day. I mean, it took us a long time, months ago now, to, to not absolutely despise everything about them. But over time, it now just becomes what you do. And so especially with the schools and the kids... To just gradually, like, let's all wear them for an hour every day at home just to get used to it, um, to gradually kind of work into them. All right, let's switch to Dr. Morris. We uh, we really enjoyed having Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. She was, oh, was so great. Yeah, so she, hopefully she'll come back. And bring us some salad next time. Either that or she can connect us with the head of education who can talk about schools. Ooh. There we go. Hey, Lieutenant S- Governor, if you're listening, yeah, we please. would like the head of the Department of Education. Yep, to talk about schools once that thing gets ironed out. <laughs> All right, so back to Centric Care, George Morris. 
Um, you know, Central Care has issued some statements that really, I mean, Central Care and Caris Health is a, most of the state. Let's be real. The middle part. The middle and southwestern South. part of the state. Um, and so really what they, I kind of liked what he started with is that taking you the safe healthcare facility to now a safe for all the community, just, you know, kind of corny phrase, but it worked. Yeah. So basically Centric Care is not supporting kind of these broad requests for letters of exemption. So I think it, they're really doing their best to kind of follow some of the guidelines from the different bigger groups um, because there's really pretty good research showing that there's benefits and there's safety in masks and a lot of different places and different businesses have been wearing masks for a long time. Okay, well, so when you say research, you mean like the science? Ooh, we're talking about science. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he, he did point out that patients with the respiratory conditions, you know, asthma, COPD, are at higher risk of having serious complications. And so using a mask is even more important, even though they might not necessarily be protecting themselves perfectly. They're protecting other people. And another thing I read um, talked about, Patients with asthma, COPD tend to have a lot more coughing, which can then spread it more. And Well, let's face it. If you have bad COPD, I don't think you should wear a mask, but I also don't think you should leave your house. <laughs> you shouldn't be going to the store. But if you're going to the doctor's office, wear your mask. Correct. Right. Anyway. So. So, yeah. And mask with vents. They're talking about that. And, of course, just like everybody's saying, they just let all the virus out. So they might protect you but they don't protect anyone else. But they don't. They're just cloth masks with the vents, so it's easier to breathe through. And the only reason it's easier to breathe through is because it's letting everything you're breathing out. Yeah, but there's N95s that are... Vented. Vented. But those are respirators. Yeah, <laughs> I have some of those. Um, and so one other thing he said was that a letter from a provider also, so like if people ask us for a doctor's note, it does actually not equal a blanket exemption to appropriate and safe use of masks because... Basically, it's not an excuse. So I liked his, his analogy is that if you have a nicotine use disorder, so you're a person who smokes a couple packs a day, I as a doctor can't write you a letter saying you have this nicotine use disorder so you're allowed to smoke on an airplane. Like, Really? It's, it's just, sorry, it's the rule, the mm. law. It's, it's, it's how it is. It's the executive order, if you will. So me writing you a note saying, no, you don't have to wear a mask because you have, you know. Well, you could... Get a note that says you don't need a mask, and then if you get pulled over for speeding, you say, hey, I uh, I have a thing that says I don't have to wear a mask. I think that gets me <laughs> that out of a be. ticket. Oh, my gosh. No, that, no that, so it just, we we as physicians do not have the ability to override, you know, the law. No. If we fight the law, the law is going to win. <laughs> yeah, that was a song way before your time. I know, but that's funny that I was able to say it. Now, they also, he talked a little bit about face shields in uh, limited situations, and for those of you who uh, missed the echo today, we were socially distanced in our room and we were wearing what is considered a reasonable thing, which is a face shield, uh, because we are doing speaking and needed to be seen. Right. Uh, although by the guideline, we could have been socially distanced and not worn a mask, but felt we felt that wearing the face shield was probably a good compromise. Good compromise, but case, in case you in spit, general... <laughs> you gross. In general, they're not acceptable unless they're like the complete wraparound spaceship-looking face shields anyway, which are even more cumbersome. Um, really quickly, we did ask him, before we get into the specific medical contraindications on their list, the one thing um, he did kind of compare this to, and you know, we talked a little bit about 
the, the difficulty in people adapting to these new laws and rules and just getting on board was he had said, you know, back when all the tobacco settlements and all the tobacco stuff came out, it took 20 years to, to kind of adjust to these smoking limitations. And, you know, wearing seatbelts took a good two years for getting people to buy into that. So now we're asking masks to be, like, implement, implemented in, like, two and a half seconds. And so it is, it's a process. It's, it's a new way of doing something that we're not used to doing. And so it needs to be done for the health and safety, just like smoking and restaurants, you know, for the health and safety is not allowed anymore in most places. And so it does take time, but again, this virus kills faster than cigarettes do actually. Yeah. (laughs) So the contraindications to face mask use. So many of these exemptions can have like some accommodations and um, these obviously need to be discussed directly with employers or other institutions. But I think Pretty clearly, uh, one of them is really under the age of five, which is kind of the statewide rule, uh, are exempt. But they're feeling like eccentric air really that should be under two. That a four-year-old, I, and I, th- I would agree with that. I think I a four-year-old too. and a five-year-old can definitely put on a mask. My three-year-old walks around in hers and is totally fine. So, I mean, she's advanced. Her so. her oxygen levels are low. and Stop. You know. You're going to be giving false information. <laughs> No, she feels fine, really. Um, so <laughs> other other people who would be exempt are people with severe mental health and developmental issues where mask use and adaptation techniques such as desensitization protocols that have been ineffective. So people who have sensory processing disorders who have you know been in lots of OTPT for a long time and still have difficulties. So if they're going to be wearing a mask and they're going to have some major um, issue um, – that would be an exemption, but they do say severe mental yeah. health and developmental issues. So. And and the, and people, you know, these severe facial deformities and coordination issues or development is, developmental issues. I I mean, I think these are very obvious problems that would um, really make wearing that not completely necessary. And and again, workers, uh, there's some places where a worker wearing one uh, may cause some workplace rule issues. So. Uh, he did point out a couple different ways that could be a problem. Although he said, like, if you have the strings from the mask. But, but you can cut those short. You can cut those shorter where the loopy ones on the ears. So there are, you know, ways. Obviously, people who are swimming. Yeah. Walking, hiking, biking, running, or doing other activities where they can stay six feet apart from others. So this brings up the complication my kids are dealing with with playing basketball in a gym. They're having to wear masks. Really? In the gym playing basketball. That is a... Sorry, Little Falls Community Schools community services rule. And I get it because they're like really in close contact in a closed building. It's darn near impossible, especially when one of my kids has glasses. He's like, I can't play basketball this year, Mom. I can't see. Mm. Yeah. So anyway. Wow. Yeah. It's a bummer. And, of course, the jails and the prisons really have their own guidance on face covering. So we're not really going to address that. But I think that. Also, there's are people that can't remove the masks or the face coverings on their own, and I think those have to be, uh, you know, looked at as well as an exemption. So, so yeah, I think overall, uh, I think these are real reasonable rules, and I think that Centric Care, like other places, and I know uh, at Essentia, uh, basically they had very similar things that uh, Dr. Henry had pointed out on a chat, and. Well, Dr. Moen and Staples, Dr. Moen, yeah. you know, they had some, and we can get those to people if you really want them, just reach out to us. But um, they had a really good statement that they, they had sent a really us. good statement. They sent and they put in just like the chats from patients and it's kind of like the scan thing they say. But 
I think George really mentioned that it's really about these adaptation strategies rather than the exemptions. So how do you adapt to being able to wear one rather than just saying, I'm not wearing one? So that was a great talk. Uh, it was a lot of good discussion, a lot of great chats. And if people have further questions about that, they can always reach out to Katie Stengel at catholichealth.net and with any questions you might have. Wow, that was good. Like that? I, I do. And Let me switch. I'm going to introduce him because, once again, just like Dr. Amanda Noska, Dr. Nathan Tramillo went to medical school with me, although he went to the U and I went to Duluth. So, But we graduated very close together in the same auditorium. Yeah. Bell the Tramillo was really not that. He probably was like sitting right next to me and I didn't even know it. So anyway, we did graduate together, which is why he's already the Medicaid medical director at DHS. Um, but this was just crazy from, you know, this, this new data that one in five Minnesotans now do get their care from Medicaid, Medicare. And that's just a lot of people losing their jobs and all the changes in the economy with this whole pandemic. Um, just phenomenal. One in five. Yeah. I mean, it grew by, it grew by 130,000 clients during this time, which really put the number about 1.2 million people in Minnesota being covered over that next year. Right. That's a lot. Um, Some different things that they have um, brought up, and some of this came from the presidential executive order, basically saying since March, one of the executive order things, the the federal emergency said that people cannot be kicked out of their coverage if they expired or no longer qualified. So they're not asking for all those annual prove that you still qualify or if you forgot to fill out the paperwork that came in the mail, they're not kicking you out of your um, the program at this point. Yeah, and of course, a lot of different things happened during COVID, and telemed was one of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all have seen the value, and I think that in certain instances, probably more valuable than others, especially patients with underlying conditions that you really didn't want them traveling around or people that had transportation issues. And so, you know, when you're not employed and suddenly money is short, it's much easier to do telemed. Right. Um, there was a couple... Uh, other things, the, the federal stuff. So basically there was a couple different programs that all came into effect with the emergency federal statement. One, again, was this continuing coverage, you know, cost sharing, free testing for people who don't have insurance, and then the telemed and the home-based and community-based services. Those were all things that kind of came out in that March executive order. In Minnesota, our local legislator in the special session extended the telemed and the home and community-based services until the end of June, so the end of next session. So those services will continue depending on what the government decides to do, the um, continuing coverage, cost-sharing, free testing, that could all expire by the end of October. Um, But again, this is all going to kind of be up in the air, but at least we know that, at least the telemed things, because we still do a quite a bit of that. I mean, c- comparatively speaking, more than we ever used to, of course, that that's going to continue at least through the end of next June. Yeah, it's really slowed down for me as far as telemed. I'm probably doing one or two a day Yep. out of 18 or 17. So I had a period where I didn't hardly have any. And now the last this week, I've had two or three a day, which... Yeah, most of the ones I'm doing are actually people that are uh, potentially COVID. See, I've I've done that and then... Like my Suboxone patients, you know, they forget their... buprenorphine? Yes, yeah, sorry. My uh, patients with opioid use disorder, you know, they're they're at work. They forgot to, to reschedule so I can still see them rather than having to reschedule or no-show. So, But other issues that have kind of come out um, is really the whole immunization thing for kids. There's been a big push to kind of make sure kids are still getting immunized because they've not wanted to. And so really... 
maintaining that regular health of um, and your well care checks and all of that that they've really pushed for. Dr. Tramillo is med peds and does a lot of peds practice, so he of course focuses on this immunization stuff. But yeah, and I think lastly, he just talked about how DHS has really during this time tried to improve the DHS website and mm-hmm. including many different languages. I didn't recognize a lot of them. <laughs> I was just going to say. I mean, there like, was a bunch. I mean, there was probably 10 that I could see on that web Some didn't have what I consider what a letter looks like, so it was confusing, but it was super awesome. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's amazing, the different uh, languages. So they're trying to update that because of the kind of reaching those communities, especially ones that uh, um, are in need, and I think that's great. So, so lastly, we had Denise Windenberg and... That's a little easier to say for you than Burge. Than Burge. But I think that we don't have a title for her, which really... Yeah, Administrative kinda, Research Director. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That sounded good. It did. But yeah, she came in and uh, she's talking about some of the funding that they got from the CARES Act and how they're using that to train students and clinicians to do telehealth. And uh, they're working on uh, a project with the Somali uh, population trying to uh, get a nurse on on site for this project that they're doing where the, the the really you know is 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 again kind of what we were just talking about with Dr. Tamillo is being able to maintain care you know if they can't come into the clinic especially if they're in quarantine to maintain that connection so they can continue to have their regular health care as well and to not lose them to follow up or just yeah losing them so she talked a little bit about that study and um how they're going to try and sustain these on-site uh, resources and uh, ability to have interventions and uh, prepare and respond to health needs of these particular populations, which are great. And then she talked about how all of the studies that they have talked about that the next couple of weeks, we're going to start seeing some of the results from those, which so will far be super cool. Yeah. That'll be great to finally see some of the studies that they're doing and what kind of results they're getting. Yeah. So really just interesting day, especially with all the mask things that have come out. And we're just obviously so grateful that we've had just the people to support us, both the listeners and then having, you know, like Lieutenant Governor and all these um, people who really get to make some of these decisions and the feedback that we're able to give them and pass on to them has been great. So please, again, like Kurt mentioned, if there's any other feedback or additional information you want us to pass on to any of these speakers or any of the previous, um, please reach out to Katie. Yep. And so coming up tomorrow, we have our opioid echo, which starts at 1215. Mm -hmm. And that will be a great talk on telehealth and SUDs. There you go. And then next Tuesday on the COVID echo, we will be back with, again, pediatrics, infectious disease. From Children's Hospital. From Children's Hospital. There you go. And then Sunday, we'll, of course, have the uh, journal reviews on COVID from this current week. So... We'll let Battle Legs take it away. And thanks so much for listening. And we will talk with you again next Sunday. This Sunday. Oh, this Sunday. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Come all you bold fishermen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. So blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward, steady we go. First comes a bluefish, a wagon his tail. He comes up on deck and yells, all hands make sail. So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward, steady we go. Next come the eels with their nipples 
Roll with his striked back. He flops up on bridge and yells, Floor the main tack. So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward. Steady we go. Up jumps the fisherman, stalwart and grim, and with his big net, he scoops them all in. So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward. Steady we go.